Welcome, welcome everybody to the inaugural episode of The Bone Club. I'm here with uh, Stephanie Hartley and Jenna McRae, and my name is Ashley Smith, and we'll be your hosts as we journey through the science that is true crime, CSI, death investigation, and the field of forensic anthropology. The goal of this podcast is when we saw and when we look at uh, the media landscape that is today, you have true crime podcasts you that are very popular. You have uh, television shows such as CSI and some of the others. For our, uh, uh, you know, when we were coming up, it was Bones. Uh, I never liked the show, but many in my cohorts did. Uh, we also have uh, crime novels that it seem to be really popular these days in conjunction with the spicy novels. So we see all these different things that talk about death investigation, that talk about, uh, to an extent, forensic anthropology, but there isn't much of a discussion as to what that science is. So you'll read or you'll see or you'll hear on forensic files that the shape of the skull indicated that the person was African-American. What does that mean? How did we come up with it? What's the science behind that? That's the goal of this podcast. And we also want to discuss the field of forensic anthropology and what's going on in it. How are things going? How do we do what we do? Um, And how does this field constantly change? And to do that, we have three really good forensic anthropologists, uh, if we do say so ourselves. Uh, My name is Ashley Smith. My name is Ashley Smith. I am a PhD candidate at the University of Toronto. I work mainly out of the uh, University of Toronto Mississauga campus where I teach in the Department of Anthropology and in the Forensic Science Program. Uh, My PhD is in Forensic Anthropology essentially and I received my Master's of Science degree in 2012 from Boston University also in Forensic Anthropology. I'm about two and a half months from completing my PhD here, and I'm getting ready to go on to the job market. So things are a little bit up in the air. I have, uh, throughout my career, had an extensive record when it comes to both research and cases. So I've worked about 50 different cases over the last decade. And I also do a lot of research and that research is widely varied among some of the stuff that I've had published or is currently under review are things on say penetrative trauma, penetrative trauma and its role in decomposition or how standardized are our osteometrics, how we measure bones, looking at the uh, decay of bone proteins and its use as determining the time since death or how bone cells migrate and how you can use those to determine if an injury occurred when someone died or just after someone died. And my more recent publications and some of the stuff I've been uh, working on now is looking at the field in general. Uh, I worked with a collaborative group with about seven authors looking at how we can incorporate the trans community 
into forensic anthropology from a casework side, a teaching side, a research side of things. And my current work that I'm working on with about a... Hey, Siri. Late night. Well, we're going to edit that out. Should have done that oh, before. That'll make it good. It's funny. <laughs> Actually, I may do that. So the 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 other the stuff I'm currently working on now is trying to address the need for advocacy in forensic anthropology. We as forensic anthropologists tend to see the final end of a lot of marginalized individuals, and yet our field has largely said we are objective. We don't discuss the, the policies. We don't address the problems, but we have a unique privilege. We need to start doing that. And that leads me to why I came into this field in the first place. Why am I a forensic anthropologist? And I hope Stephanie and Jenna, Jenna can discuss the same thing. Um, for me, I came into this field because as a trans person, way back in, in uh, 2009, when I first said, I want to be that, I questioned what would happen to me and how would I be identified if I was found in the woods? And while I didn't, I, I tried to get started on in my master's, it didn't really pan out then. It's something I'm starting to shift my focus towards now. So I want to see how we can help to identify trans-identified individuals and get them off the roles of the unidentified. So that's a little bit about my background. Stephanie, what about you? Hi, yes, everyone. I'm uh, Stephanie Hartley. I am a master's degree uh, forensic anthropologist. I currently work for SNA International supporting the DPA mission, which is pretty much a long acronym, but it is Defense Prisoners of War Missing Action Accounting Agency. Um, we predominantly look at past wars to try to identify the soldiers who went missing. So if you think, um, you know, a plane goes down in Vietnam, someone has to go out and try to find it. Um, that's a lot of what that company does. And I do primarily lab work. So I work day in and day out looking at skeletal cases to try to create that biological profile using things like DNA and isotopes and a bunch of other things to try to come together to create what essentially is a bioprofile or a picture of who that individual was um, before they died or when they died and be able to try to accurately ID them. Um, I got my master's degree at the University of West Florida um, under Alicia Winburn. So if you follow a lot of forensic anthropology stuff, I'm sure you've heard her name. Um, and I, I was in anthropology as a whole, but I focused on forensics. And then I got my under my undergraduate degree at the University of Louisiana in Lafayette. And I had a dual major between criminal justice and anthropology. And I dabbled in some chemistry, mainly because I thought I was going to do med school and that didn't pan out as much as I thought it was going to. <laughs> found found my true love in anthropology, and I hope y'all can find it too. Um, my research, primarily for grad school, um, instead of studying skeletal remains, which is what a lot of people do for um, their research, I actually studied the people that did this research. 
So I look primarily at cognitive biases. And so how Ashley was talking about how a lot of times scientific fields like to tout how objective they are and things like that. I really delved into that and tried to see, are there cognitive biases that creep through what is objective science? Um, hint, hint, it is yes. Uh, and so I primarily focused on that. And then more recently, since uh, starting with the DPAA, I have really started to dabble back into my chemistry side and have gone into isotope research to try to help with decommingling, which is just a really fancy word to say you have a bunch of people and a bunch of parts of people, and you have to try to figure out which one's, you know, person one, person two, et cetera, um, try to segregate those remains into discrete people and doing that via isotopes. Um, I have a lot of random interest that I haven't quite done research in, more just like personal exploration, but not written uh, research like a lot of academics do. Um, but I primarily do a lot of casework. Um, pretty much it's all I do day in and day out is casework. Um, and then I have dabbled in some cultural resource management. So I dipped my toe into the archaeology side, um, being able to actually go out into the field and do those types of excavations or digging um, to see if you can find remains or find anything that would um, showcase that there was someone or something there at that time. Um, so any funerary objects or other things like that. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much me, but I can toss it on over to, to Jenna. All right, hello. Uh, I am Jenna McRae, otherwise known affectionately as Jenna Mac. Um, I am actually completing my master's degree tomorrow. So I will graduate tomorrow from the University of Toronto um, with an evolutionary anthropology degree. Um, my research was also focused in forensic anthropology. Um, I mostly focused my efforts towards identifying gender on the skeleton. Uh, so you may hear on Bones or in all those various shows, they say the, the shape of the eye orbit says it's male. Um, I'm trying to look outside of that. And then to Ashley's point, I'm trying to see how we can identify how a person lived and what their lived gender was. Um, so I was looking at evidence of wearing high heels using radiographs. Uh, my undergraduate degree was actually at the University of Western Ontario. Um, and I was doing that in rehabilitation sciences. So I've always really loved studying people and the way that people work. Um, and I just kind of switched on over to the way that people lived and then how I can see that when they die. <laughs> um, I've always really loved helping people and I love the idea of bringing loved ones home to their people. I'm probably the babiest of the group here in terms of my uh, expertise in forensic anthropology. I have been on a handful of cases um, so real field work, uh, but I'm just working to figure out what my next stages are. Sounds good. And Jenna actually works with me. We both, we're both in the exact same lab. So I've tried to take her under my wing and tried to show her some things. And she's done very well. <laughs> so actually that does bring me up to, uh, bring up a question and it's the, the, purpose of this particular episode, we've talked a lot about forensic anthropology, how we are forensic anthropologists, what we do, how we do things. Um, but we didn't answer the question, what is forensic anthropology? Uh, 
Now, I know there's the Wikipedia answer. We study someone's bones and try to find out their um, ancestry and their sex and their stature and their height, what we call the bio, bio profile. We try to understand who that person is biologically and what happened to them. But what is forensic anthropology really beyond the Wikipedia? What, it, what do you think? I like to think of forensic anthropology as the science's closest connection to humanity, because depending on, you know, what school you go to, your anthropology degree might be a BS or, you know, Bachelor of Science or a BA, Bachelor of Arts. Um, and I think it really is both. I think we are a perfect mixture of, yes, science, we look at you know skeletal and biological remains to try to create that type of identification but we do so much more than just a bio profile more than just a trauma assessment we really are you know that speaker for the individual who died and being able to tell you know the last moments before they died and who they were as a person and you really get to know the humanity um in that skeletal assemblage and in that person and being able to showcase that to the world. So I really enjoy forensic anthropology. And that's what I always like to remind myself when I work casework, that it is not just, you know, your Halloween plastic skeleton that you're looking at and thinking cool things, but really this is someone's loved one. And it really is your connection to that humanity and to the cultures around you. Um, that is really important for forensic anthropology. Yeah. Broadly stated, to me, anthropology anthropology generally is just the study of humans. It's the study of where we came from, where we're going, what we've done, what we're doing. And forensic anthropology is the application of what we know about all of those things and how all of them interact in a person's life and in a person's death and how we can use that information to not only identify them, but to figure out how they lived and how they died. Yeah, see, I mean, for me, it's 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 those things and something a little bit different. It is the science of death. It is the anthropology of death. It is the one thing that unites all people, all cultures, all nations, not to get too dark. Everybody dies. Quote Everyone. George Rube. Everybody dies. And our field studies death. We are the science of death. We are the anthropology of death. We are the ones who see people at their most vulnerable state because nobody can, can they can't speak up for themselves anymore. That's our job is to speak up for them. Find out what happened to them. But as Jenna said, what is their lived experience? And I think that's what's changing in our field because our field for the longest time was just that pure methodological, what do we have on the table? And now when you start to see effectively what is our generation of anthropologists, we're asking, no, what is the lived experience of that person? What made that person? That's the best way to help them. What were you saying, Jenna? Just like what made that person that person, you know? Yeah. What makes that person that person? What makes them unique? What makes them them? 
And why is it we want to erase it in death? We can't erase it in death. So I think that is our ultimate goal. Now, we can't ignore some of the stuff that's that we've done in history, the, the bio profile and things like that. But we do have to expand on what we do. And that ultimately is forensic anthropology. That's something that I'm trying to do and a lot of other people are trying to do. We want to bring back the anthropology in forensic anthropology. Bring back the forensics is just a descriptor. We are yeah. anthropologists first, and it we is do forensic anthropology because you know there's laws and legalities behind it, which is what totes it as forensic. But really, we are anthropologists first, and being able to put our you know our little anthropology hat on first is really important. And then forensics is just that feather in the cap instead of the entire hat. Mm -hmm. uh, for lack of a better metaphor. No, that's a great metaphor. It is a great metaphor. And it, it, it brings me to, you know, the, the next thing. It's just a, a thought in my head. I recall when I first got started in a professional organization, it's, it's called the American Academy of Forensic Sciences. It's one of the largest forensic science organizations in the world. As a matter of fact, uh, Stephanie and I are both members of that organization. And when I got started in as a student affiliate in 2011, we were debating as a section to drop the term physical anthropology and just go with anthropology. That, that's our section name now is we're the anthropology section. The debate centered around, well, who can say they are in a member of this section? Are we going to allow sociocultural anthropologists into forensic anthropology, into the anthropology section. And I have to ask, what's wrong with that? What is wrong with collaborating with and partnering with the sociocultural side of things? And, you know, in for, for an academic like myself, you know, the people on the other end of the hall that are teaching what I call squishy theory. <laughs> Why can't we get involved with them? Why can't we discuss them? Why can't we incorporate more theory in forensic anthropology? Oh, the more agreed. multidisciplinary, the better. It is a multi. Well, anthropology is a multidisciplinary field. It's a multi multidisciplinary science and social science. And I think forensic anthropology has sort of gotten away from that. And so we're trying to bring it back, or we should try to bring it back. I definitely think there are quite a few people in the field that are trying to, you know, reel it back in and be like, remember, like, all methods are based in theory. And so just, mm -hmm. you know, ignoring the fact that there's theory that is just entrenched in everything we do is bad science. Like, you know, you have to really keep your, your mind open to, well, not only what method am I choosing to do my casework? But why am I choosing this method? What is the theory behind this method? Is that theory logical and sound? And does it stand up to, you know, the standards that we set for ourselves in the field? And all of those things are really important because they will shape your answer. So your conclusion is really shaped by the world around you because people are shaped by the world around you. And so 
trying to ignore that theory really does yourself a disservice and then does the people you're serving your casework because realistically we are serving our cases and you know trying to id and things like that and if you try to ignore those things you're also doing a disservice to your casework and to those people that you know you're trying to give back to their loved ones and that's that's who we deal with that that's our whole mission is reuniting the deceased with their loved ones whether that is their biological family or their chosen family it is to put a name and a life to a set of remains, to a skeleton. Right. It's giving an answer. Yeah. yeah. It's giving so, them answers. Because a lot of times, you know, once it gets to the point that forensic anthropologists are looking at our casework and at these remains, they've been dead for quite a while. So the families might think they're still missing. They might you know, think, assume that they're, you know, dead, but have not found remains, so have no answers. There's that ambiguous loss that is just perpetuating their lives that they don't have that answer. And it's really hard to start a grieving process when you don't have an answer. And so forensic anthropologists, part of our job is to try to give that answer. And I know at least for myself with the work that I do, it's also sometimes explaining well, where was, you know, my grandpa or my great uncle or whoever was in the war? Where did they die? What were they doing? How did they die? Because a lot of those things aren't known. And so giving that type of answer is really a start to closure for a lot of people. And and well, and what you do is actually very important, not just for the sort of individualistic trying to deal with the families. But if you think about American culture, you and the work that uh, the, your colleagues do actually fulfills part of what I would call the American ethos, particularly when it comes to our service people. Um, and that is we leave no one behind. As a country, we try to leave no one behind. And your mission is to leave no one behind. No and human that, that, gets left behind. What? No human gets left behind. Yep. No human gets left behind. And that sort of, uh, it, you can think about it by looking at, just look at CNN. I mean, it feels like once a month, once every other month, there's a news story where your outfitter, the DPAA, has identified somebody and brought them home to their families. Now, that's fulfilling sort of a, a, a national sort of a cultural aspect to it because it's fulfilling that need that, hey, we have, we, we have found another one. We are not leaving them behind. And I think it's also, I mean, it's very easy for a lot of people to connect to that as far as military is concerned, because it is often, you know, a saying of no man left behind for military. But 
but I think all of forensic anthropology, I think a lot of us think that way of mm -hmm. our casework and the people that we are studying and trying to identify, we don't want to leave them behind either. Mm -hmm. And so I know um, the, you know, boards, um, the board certification um, for forensic anthropology has like Instagrams and other things like that, they, that they often will showcase cold cases that you know, hadn't been able to be ID'd because, you know, science is always progressing and trying to get better. And forensic anthropologist and new science has helped to identify someone who their case has been cold for 20 years. And it's, it's so it's not just UPA and it's not just military, but it really is no one left behind for all of us. And forensic anthropology is not just the US. You know, we have forensic anthropologists worldwide and I think a lot of us think that way of I'm not going to leave my casework behind because this is someone's loved one. This is someone's someone. And you can't just ignore that. Um, and so having that, at least for myself, that's why I really gravitated more towards forensic anthropology instead of going back to med school was because of that is you don't like we are the study of death and you don't want like death isn't the end. Like no. it might have been the end for you know someone's breathing, living life, but it is not the end of their story. It is not the end of their legacy on the world. And I feel like a lot of times for forensic anthropology, being able to make those identifications and tell their story, it's sharing their legacy and furthering themselves, and so they don't end. Yeah. Some of the work we do as well is just recovering individuals. Um, if you think of a house fire, when somebody perishes in a house fire, um, somebody may want to come home to that house. And one of the important jobs that we have is making sure that we recover all of that individual's remains so that they can be laid to rest however the family wants to lay them to rest. Um, and just ensuring that not only does no human get left behind, but no, uh, to the best of our abilities, no part of that human will be left behind. Yeah. I mean, and, and we, and here in Ontario, we deal with um, indigenous remains from time to time. What we, what we call here in first in Canada, first nations. And that is a very big part of the various different nations culture is even the tiniest little finger bone is, is person. And you don't leave it behind. And you're right, Stephanie. It, it it permeates not just at the DPAA. It permeates all throughout. I am uh, a consultant with a nonprofit organization called Please Bring Me Home. The whole purpose of the organization is to uh, sort of investigate and search for cold case missing persons. And my job is to go through whatever they find and to see, yeah, we may have someone here. And trying to help those investigators figure out where they should search and where they shouldn't search. And it's a fantastic organization. It is a fantastic organization. If you're in Canada, you should really look them up. It's called Please Bring Me Home. You can volunteer with them. You can volunteer with them. <laughs> you can volunteer with them, surely. All right. Does anybody have anything they want to add? I say, I guess, uh, 
just to try to liven things up a bit because while we are the study of death and sometimes that can get a dark. little sad and depressing and dark right uh sometimes it can be really really cool and fascinating and obviously a little morbid so if you have a morbid sense of humor you probably will love it here but you also as forensic anthropologists every case is different because every person is different and so you get to see so many cool things about the human body that you might not have known where like you know you could have studied I mean I went through a lot of school they went through a lot of school and still I feel like every time I you know open a new case I learn something new about the human body which is always really fascinating um just seeing all the different intricacies of people and how even you know at least for uh the cases that I work on it's a pretty homogenous group because if you think World War II it's a lot of 18 to 25 year old white guys right um but even in that really homogenous group you see so much variability in the human skeleton which is super fascinating um and so I know I really enjoy being able to see that and then also let's be real if you if you tuned into uh you know podcast called the bone club you probably really like csi you like your crime shows um we deal with a lot of trauma and not just like oh the trauma that caused the person's death but like trauma that happened beforehand so like i've seen cases where there's massive blunt force trauma to the head so essentially got hit with something big and hard enough to for it to have affected you know your cranium and they live to tell the tale right they it healed over and everything's fine and you know they kept on living and that really just shows the resiliency of mankind as well because you know you can go through so much and still live to tell the tale and then while you, obviously everyone dies and that's how you ended up on our tables but now we get to tell your tales and that's also a really important fascinating thing for me at least well as a as a um, person I was talking to last week was saying, uh, we are very special people because we're not accountants. It's not the same job day in and day out. Every day is a new thing. Every day is a new adventure. Every case is, is unique. Every scene is unique. So if you're somebody who wants structure, but at the same time, doesn't want the same thing over and over and over and over again. Consider forensic anthropology. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, we're some pretty cool people. Trust us, we're some pretty cool people. You also get to do some pretty wild and epic things sometimes where, you know, you might get called out for a recovery and have to climb a mountainside and I've never climbed a mountainside so you get to learn a new skill or you know just this morning I was digging a hole in the middle of somewhere else so it's like you never really know what the job's going to make you do so you always kind of have to be on your toes a little bit which is really fun but then you get to see so much and also interact with the world around you um and just ways that you probably wouldn't have you know, being an accountant or being, you know, other different types of jobs. Um, I know I've been volunteering. Um, so I live on Oahu and I've been volunteering with um, some organizations in a city not too far from where I'm currently at. 
and trying to um, find Iwi Kapuna, which is essentially ancestors, um, and trying to be able to repatriate and rebury them in a proper way and being able to work with the cultures around you and like being able to learn so much more that I probably would never have learned in a, a random other day job, right? Um, you don't get yourself in those weird sticky situations as an accountant or even when I wanted to do med school, even as a doctor, you probably won't get yourself in those types of situations and you really get to learn so much about the world around you, which then helps you learn about yourself a little bit as well, because being able to see that variability and seeing the culture differences really just shows you not only how similar everyone is to each other, but how different everyone is and how beautiful that can be, uh, at least for myself. Yeah. And then you also have the, um, slight element of danger going to going to work at a fire scene from a house that is less than secure and it's minus 25 degrees celsius it's we're getting below zero fahrenheit it's fun you'll toast for you it's fun Sarah, I might leave those for you. I'm not a fan of the cold. I'll stick That's why you're in Hawaii. <laughs> but yeah, I think the I mean, funniest I... thing about this field too is like the the one of the things that that we say is dead people don't talk back. But I've never learned so much about like I did an undergrad in in de a degree in alive people, and I've never learned so much about people as I have in studying them in depth. And I feel like that's just the craziest thing about this. And at the end of the day, no matter who you are or what you do or where you came from everybody is just bones at, at the end of it we're all just the same we're skin sacks and bones it's, and it's humbling <laughs> it's humbling to realize that we're all very unique and also so very much the same agreed there yeah. are other squishy bits in there too besides skin sacks yeah, yeah. the occasional squishy part <laughs> The squishy bits are the not the not the stuff I like either. Not the stuff we like. They're not the Halloween decorations. <laughs> I'll stay away from my fleshy bits. Yeah. Though I will take fleshy bits over hair and nails. That's never been my <laughs> the thing that I love. I actually I love the fleshy bits. I one of the things I I um have gotten into it was my under or my undergrad my uh, master's program was actually in a department of anatomy so we had to do a lot of the gross anatomy stuff i've been a teaching assistant and i actually started out as the course instruct one of the course instructors for our forensic anatomy course here and i love anatomy i love soft tissue anatomy it's it's absolutely fascinating but i'll say the bones are best i'm fascinated and yet i have a stank face the entire time i do autopsies <laughs> yep but i'm like oh that's so cool this is the coolest thing i've ever seen <laughs> You're not no no i i i i find them fascinating it's just watching an autopsy on somebody who is rather decomposed where you want to go i'll stand on the other side of the air conditioning i would say i'll take the smell of decomp over the smell of burned remains because let's be real, it just smells like fried chicken. And that just feels weird. No, like, not fried people chicken. Should, people shouldn't Barbecue. Smell like food. <laughs> oh, our good right. job is so glamorous, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
you, you know, you know, you are good for this field when you can come back from a fire scene and say, I'm hungry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or when you can be on a fire scene and eat a meat lover's pizza, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't you do that? Yeah. <laughs> it felt very dark, but I enjoyed it. It's a really good pizza. You do have to have a slightly dark sense of humor. I mean, when you <laughs> yes, deal with you do all day long, obviously there are some traumas that go along with it. And for a lot of us, trauma response, humor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if you don't find a way, and we'll actually probably discuss and uh, have a episode where we talk about these traumas. But yeah, if you don't have a way to deal with it, you are destined for the grippy socks factory. <laughs> Hard to stay out either way, but <laughs> right. <laughs> so I think we've just about covered what forensic anthropology is. I want to thank you all for listening to us today. Uh, our next episode will be in about a month from now, and it'll be on job prospects in forensic anthropology. It's something that I've come to appreciate greatly as I'm coming to my end. Uh, Jenna is right at her end and she's debating whether or not to go into the field or go into academia as a phd student so and stephanie went right into the field oh yeah went straight straight to straight to straight work, to work. <laughs> straight to work so so we're going to discuss next month or next time the various different job prospects how do you actually get into this field um what are some things that you can do? And we're going to do it from a more realistic perspective. This isn't necessarily going to be a rah-rah um, selling point, but something you should consider if you're seriously considering this field. So again, I want to thank you all. Um, if you want to reach us, we do have some ways for you to reach us. Uh, we have an email account, which is boneclubpodcast at gmail.com. That's boneclubpodcast at gmail.com. And we're also on Instagram and threads as at the Bone Club Podcast. That's at the Bone Club Podcast. Yep. So if you weren't scared away by the fleshy bits talk or the the burned remains talks or the whatever else we decided to throw at you today i mean join the bone club join the bone club join us all right so for myself stephanie and jenna we want to thank you and we'll see you next month see you next time